Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 60 of the Coach Fury Podcast, the big 6-0. And I'm excited because this is one of the last few episodes before I go travel in Japan and Taiwan for a couple of weeks for work, teaching some courses. Can't wait. And it's also one of the last episodes I'm recording as a 45-year-old. My birthday's happening on the 21st. It will have just happened. So uh, happy birthday to me. Uh, I dig birthdays uh, not for the attention, but I do think we should celebrate that with all that life throws at us that we've survived um, by either sheer will or luck uh, yet another year on this planet. So uh, I'm stoked. That's why I like birthdays. And I like this show and I like this guest. So Mike Dijon was supposed to be last week's guest, but I got that geek virus at New York Comic Con. And I say that affectionately. Yeah, I'm one of you. We smell our own. Uh, Mike is a really good guy that I met early on when Kim and I first started dating with a bunch of friends. And he's a staple of the New York hardcore music scene and just music in general out here. And we had run into each other at the Jimmy Gestapo benefit show. Uh, Jimmy's the singer from Murphy's Law, another like literally like an icon of the New York hardcore scene and music scene and uh, got to chatting. And then Mike had a really great couple of years musically and how he got there. So I was really excited to get him on the show. I apologize that it took an extra week to get him on the show. And this episode is also special for me because there's a fitness component that Mike and I intend to talk about. Because he's big into yoga and is you know got his nutrition dialed in, but this one turned out to just be two dudes talking about music and how we grew up in the scene, um, different perspectives, and it was just super fun. And in a way, it's actually what I really hope this podcast turns out to be. That certainly it's probably going to always be primarily a fitness podcast. I shouldn't say possibly like, that is the goal, but it's also that we can branch out of that. So when we have more movie-based episodes or more music-based episodes, it's awesome. So. Uh, before we get into the discussion with Mike and I, some things that are going on. So the RKC is coming up March 3rd and 4th. I'm going to go back in time first. Original Strength, January 13th at MFF Bowery. That RKC, March 3rd and 4th, is at Momentum Fitness. And then the following weekend, March 10th, I'm back at MFF Bowery for an HKC, a one-day kettlebell certification. And I'm super excited for those. There's some stuff building up, um, potentially some more DVRT stuff happening uh, late, uh, early December and potentially in early January in the Boston area. Uh, December would be in Brooklyn, but I don't have firm dates on that. And I'm excited. Dustin Ripito, who was on this show, we're going to be going out to Tulsa for Original Strength on September 21st and hopefully working out a DVRT workshop on September 22nd. So uh, one of the great things about friends in this field and getting to teach and have this show is like you really do make connections that are stronger than just the hour, hour and a half, two hours we spend on the call. So I'm very excited to finally come out and see Kenzie and uh, Dustin and, and meet their son Bennett. And then the weekend after that's going to be the DVRT Master Trainer Summit. So I'm excited for that. And uh, that's enough of what's going on here. Folks, if you want to take a class or do some personal training here at Fury Industries, the Speakeasy of Strength in the Gowanus South Slope area of Brooklyn, hit up CoachFury.com. If you can't make it here and want to do some online coaching with me, uh, hit up CoachFury.com. If you want to check out episodes of this podcast and things, guess where you go? CoachFury.com. 
Unless you want to support the show financially, head over to patreon.com slash Coach Fury Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Coach Fury Podcast. Um, and you can donate some money for this show. I got to be honest, those donations from my um, patrons paid for this microphone. They helped pay for my new headphones at this point. And the next goal is a better laptop um, an updated laptop so I can better manage and mix and handle this show because uh, I'm working on a dinosaur laptop right now. So uh, you can help me do that, living out the dream. And also now that I'm like really, as we're getting deeper and deeper into the show, I would love to have some money to be able to travel and uh, go to places that aren't just workshops I happen to be in to go see people. So anyway, I love you. Regardless if you don't feel you could donate a buck or two an episode or five bucks a month or whatever, um, do me a favor. If you've listened to two or three or more episodes of this show, please hit me up with a rating. Um, you know, hit those five stars over on the old iTunes. It goes a long way. And I didn't even realize how important those algorithms were until I literally searched Coach Fury Podcast specifically. And though the episodes came up, the main page didn't. Uh, it has now because a couple of people sent interviews. Uh, sorry, said uh, ratings in. So please check that out. Hey. That's a lot of me talking about myself. Let's talk about music with Mike Dijon. Welcome to episode 60. Hey Mike, first and foremost, Thank you for putting up with all of the cancellations and rescheduling last week. No worries at all, though. That's the uh, that's life in New York. Man, right? we I went to New York Comic Con with with a friend yeah. on Friday, and I just think uh, it was an incubator for sick fellow geeks. Yeah, a lot of you know, a lot of germs harvesting in those costumes. So. <laughs> yeah, they don't ventilate well, and, and I'm going to apologize. They, they haven't quite mastered that. I'm going to apologize for Ramona barking in the background. This time of the evening, the, the oh, random okay. noise in our apartment gets gets jacked up. So All good. Uh, listeners, my buddy Mike Dijon is on the phone. I met Mike uh, almost seven years ago now, and through when I basically when I first started dating Kim... And it was a really interesting time in my life because uh, I didn't expect to end up in a serious relationship because my, you know, my marriage basically just ended, uh, like, I don't know, six months prior. Started seeing Kim. And the interesting kind of cool thing, and Mike and I have never actually directly talked about this, was at that point in my life, like, I lost a lot of friends, basically not because they hated me. Maybe some of them hated me because of the divorce or the split. But uh, I didn't even know how to talk to some of my friends about it. So, like, I... I had my gym friends and my friends that knew what was going on. And then I had a lot of friends that sort of knew me and my ex together that I just honestly didn't know how to communicate with about it. Like you don't go up and go like, Hey, did you hear this snooze? I don't know. I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And then, uh, started seeing Kim and then met a bunch of Kim's friends. And Mike was a part of that group. And it was really rad to actually meet new people that weren't judging me on my past history um, as being part of a couple and being an individual. So we've never had that chat, but uh, I was, no, great. I was no, grateful for you guys then. Yeah, actually, um, you know, we had a little crew going where we'd get together, you know, we had uh, a lot of co friends in common. So uh, we always found ourselves at the same party or 
same dinner or whatnot and was, you know, always, you know, a good hang. Yeah, I admittedly feel a little guilty that I think I, I, I inadvertently pulled Kim out of that just because we suddenly, I, I, I weighed her down with parenting, you know, <laughs> soon to be stepmom parenting duties, like where it's like, oh, we can't hang out because we got the kids or my damn training schedule of waking up at 4.30 in the morning at that time uh, right. made it harder to go out. So, yeah, any of Kim's friends from that era, please know that wasn't her. <laughs> it was totally <laughs> my involvement in her life, making things more complicated. Um, but the cool thing was, is and I didn't realize this, is uh, uh, Mike is, uh, is a musician, and uh, in the New York hardcore scene in particular, a staple of the scene. And, you know, I'm somebody that was into New York hardcore music and hardcore music pretty much probably from like the earlier days. Um, but I didn't go into the city. So I missed a lot of shows. I didn't go to a lot of the hardcore shows. I was like kind of a lazy skateboarder um, where I was like, I can just skateboard and listen to stuff in Long Island. And I didn't come into the city much. And I regret that now. I, I would also say that I was probably a little scared to get my ass kicked because it was different <laughs> back then. But I wanted to... I, I like uh, from someone on the outside looking in th that perception could be made, but you know, it wasn't like that at all. You know what I mean? I, if you, if you were cool, it, you know, basically no one fucked with you, you know? And that's kind of my regret. I think that was all like, uh, there was a, a different era, uh, vibe, a mystery about that stuff. Right. People don't remember that. Like, unless you talk to somebody or went, there was no, there was no internet. There was no YouTube. There was no somebody shooting a video from the show. Uh, you know, so like all you had was this idea or the still photo, like one of those classic photos of just like, a, a, you know, a ton of kids cramming and stage diving. And I was just like, oh, and then you'd hear like, you know, stories, but you could never tell if they were true or not. So admittedly, one of my regrets is I think I was 80% uh, lazy and probably 20% intimidated. Well, some of the stories are true, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, when I, walked into my first hardcore show it was literally like i was in some you know uh kubrick movie or um you know something out of sin city it, it had like uh it just had that like dark vibe to it and like the sounds the smell the the, the attitude the looks you got coming in it was you know scary and, what, was, what was the and, first hardcore and, and, show? Exhilarating at the same time, you know, because you you know like you know you're there, you're in there for an hour, and and like you know you, all that's aside, and you're actually having a great time. Would, would you ask my what, my what was the what was that show? It was uh, March of '86, um, Corrosion of Conformity at uh, CBC, CBGB's. Oh, wow. Corrosion's one of those weird bands, man, where, you know, when, when, when we were getting into it and I was getting into it, they were one of the most, like, sort of, of the handful of visibly recognizable hardcore symbols, at least. Do you remember, like, the COC sort of yeah, toxic the, skull? The, uh, the radiation skull was their, yeah. was their logo, and that's, that's you, you didn't even need the band name. As long as you saw that, you, you knew who they were. No, it was like that and Black Flag and, uh, you know, the DRI Mosh guy and the Circle Jerks guy. It was, like, instantly recognizable as that was that. And then in the, what was it, like, early, mid-90s? Pretty early 90s. They went more more metal, like a lot of bands did. I'm not judging them on it. But I think people forget how heavy they were. 
Yeah, I mean, they were, uh, my first impression of them is that they weren't human. In that, <laughs> that they were uh, like sort of like monsters, you know, because like the just the way Mike Dean looked and, and like they, they were basically like sludge, like crust punks playing really fast thrash hardcore. And uh, it didn't sound like a band playing. It sounded just like a dark entity <laughs> emitting this energy. So like that, that's, that was my impression of it. The, the, the first time I saw it and I heard it. That's kind of amazing. Were, were you sort of like instantly hooked? At that moment, yeah, instantly. And did you grow up in, you, I know you're in Astoria now, but did you grow up in Queens? I was born in Astoria, Queens. Awesome. Then, so, yeah, born, raised, and still live here. Awesome. So clearly a, a lot of like, kind of like the scene itself sort of actually people, you know, New York hardcore, they always think CBGB's and where it's from, but man, uh, Astoria has got a lot of, a lot of deep roots within that scene specifically. I mean, just in, in the four square blocks I grew up on, there's like five or six bands that manifested out of this neighborhood. And if you just go like a half a mile away, uh, just to the other side of the park, there was another six or seven bands that were more on the, uh, uh, they, they, they were more on like the, like the clean cut straight edge side in terms of sound and, uh, and direction in their music. And there was, there were skaters, you know, we were more like, you know, the, the fighting, like, uh, you know, get drunk type, you know, <laughs> Still wearing the uh, you know the MCs and you know had like the shag hairdo left over from going to metal shows, but like we were we were already like deep into the hardcore thing. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah, I was definitely on the skater side, but I was also doing. I was totally. I was like that weird like hybrid suburban kid where it was like I would listen to Run DMC. I mean, a lot of us. I think a lot of people thought there were deeper lines in terms of what people would listen to, but I think a lot of us in that era were listening to probably a lot of the same variety of things. But it would be oh, like Run DMC, and 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 I didn't realize it at the time. Beastie Boys had such roots in the scene itself, but yeah. uh, you know, listening to like Ramones and Sex Pistols and Iron Maiden, and then you know as Metallica started to come out, but then also starting to get introduced to more of the bands that like uh you know the sort of the next wave i guess of of what would be like black flag and circle jerks and uh i was big into mdc at the time still am um so one of the few bands i haven't gotten to see that i'd like to see i mean like as far as like the dc bands uh i kind of just you know, slipped into the bad brains and sort of overlooked everyone else you know like um because i didn't think anyone could play like them, you know, like, uh, I mean, you know, I, I like minor threat. I like black flag, but, uh, you know, I hold the bad brains higher than anyone else in, in terms of, uh, I mean, just out of forget about which city it's just like, that's, that's the band. That's the band that like set the tone in terms of intensity, melody, uh, you know, sick breakdowns, uh, groove, you name it, uh, stage performance, and you know, and then the bands that like uh, you know followed them, like the Chromags, that tried to you know infuse you know what they were doing and you know with their influences, like you know tapping like Motorhead and the Bad Brains, you know to 
come up with with what they did. Uh, you know, those are the bands I followed. More, you know, more on the the heavier, intense side. You know. Yeah, I, I honestly got to say, and and, it, and it's weird now because I can look back and see where they stood. Like I sort of missed out. Like I had a couple of bad brains and I dug them and I don't know if it's cause I was more of a metal head first that it didn't connect with me the way that it does now. So I unfortunately missed out on them. And you know, it, it's that, that sort of crap shoot. Now, if you go to see them live, what, what type of show you're going to get. And I, I keep rooting. Um, but you know, unfortunately due to some like, you know, mental health stuff, uh, right. it, it's, it's tough and it's a hard you position to be in. You got it. You just, you don't know what you're going to get. You got to go every time. Yeah. It might be special that one time I went to see them in an art space and there was only 40 people there. This was last year. Uh, it was to, um, launch a, uh, an exhibit of Daryl's art and, um, they played on the floor and did a set and I was one of 50 people there like fucking going nuts and, and, and dancing and, and uh, you know, it was, it was magical, you know, cause they were killing it. So um, what happened was uh, uh, HR sang three songs and then uh, Randy from uh, Lamb of God sang a couple of songs and then uh, Sid McRae, like the original singer, like came out and did Regulator, and the whole fucking place went nuts. Wow. And yeah, yeah, it was it, it was it, it was awesome. It's like, when do you get to be in a a um, an intimate, like exclusive crowd with the Bad Brains like playing eye level to you? Yeah, it's crazy. We so Kim and I saw them, and I would imagine almost. On almost any scenario, seeing them in a smaller space is, is definitely going to be better, especially, you know, with the variability of HR, right? And we saw them at Riot, we saw them at Riot Fest, and it was just uh, on our honeymoon, actually, last year, and it was, it was, it was pretty painful. And, and you felt, because that band still hammers, but the sure. show, you know, it's caught on the singer. Now, I missed it, but I heard they played AfroFest, what, two years ago? And HR wasn't there, but they had a bunch of guest singers like Corey Glover. And I heard mm -hmm. that was amazing. Um, but I, I'm still hoping I'll fall upon one of those special shows because I've missed out on that. There's like a handful of bands. I'm like, damn it. Why they, have they I not did, caught them? They did a, uh, a Bad Branch tribute thing where like uh, Mackie played drums and uh, Todd Youth actually played guitar. And they had a bunch of guest singers. And uh, Ralphie from The Mob like sang regulator and he came out and just destroyed it. He was the best guy of the night. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Cause he just, he came out like, like early eighties, like, like, you know, straight up, I don't give a fuck punk and like belted it out through the fucking mic on the floor and just like walked out. It was, it was amazing. So, Hey, after that, how far were you, were you already playing guitar at the time of that COC show or how far no, it, did that help no, guide you I, into I, it? I had, I had never picked up an instrument before. How long did it take between the show to getting into it? Uh, two years. Oh, that long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, my life at the time, I was uh, I was crazed about uh, uh, building cars. Even though I was, I was only 15, 16 at the time, uh, that's just something that was my thing. And All right. That, like I, I, I bought my first vehicle with uh, 
money I'd save from my paper route. Like that's, that's how like, like crazed I was about like cars, you know, like I had like all, like my little hot wheels cars I had at the time, I used to, you know, put them on a shelf and stare at them and, and figure like, that's what I'm going to buy. You know, at, when I'm eight years old, it was like, you know, as soon as I could save some money, I don't care what age I am, I'm going to buy that one or I'm going to buy that one. So, um, yeah, so I bought a, uh, like a 68 Firebird, like muscle car. And at the oh. time, they were, like, it, this was the early 80s. So like these cars, you could get practically nothing. I bought it for like $300 off my neighbor. And then just started, you know, tearing the motor apart, like, you know, playing with it, like, you know, like a real life-size toy. And that, that was the, what I thought my life was going to be that, that I would, that I would race cars and I would go to the shows and I would, uh, you know, in my spare time, like work on these things. Cause that's what made me happy at the time. But, um, uh, what happened was I started, uh, you know, roadieing and teching for some of the bands in my neighborhood after I had went to that, sh- that first show. So, uh, you know, bands like Leeway and bands like Outburst, bands like Fit of Anger. Um, um, there, there were so many bands. Leeway's and, got a release party coming up soon, soon. Don't, for, for something new. Doesn't Leeway have like a release party or show coming up soon? Uh, that, 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 like, uh, the, the, the singer pretty much does the band on his own now. And, and mm. like, I don't, uh, I don't really keep tabs on, uh, what, uh, what he's, you know, what he's doing. I'm like, uh, but, um, for that time, but, you know, those are the guys that I hung out with in my neighborhood and yeah. they were like, Hey, you know, we have a show like, you know, I heard you know how to drive. You want to drive us out there? So like, you know, that's what I would do. I would go, you know, carry the equipment, like tune the guitars, like, you know, do stuff like that just because I wanted to get out of the zip code and, uh, you know, got me up and down the East coast. And I, you know, I met some new friends and some that, and then I would go to their rehearsals, uh, which were around the corner from my house. They would jam in my friend's basement or my other friend's garage. And, uh, they would play their songs and then they would do like Sabbath covers. You could see it. It was just having fun. Like, you know, there was no, uh, say uh master plan or 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 uh intent with what they were doing they were just doing it and mm-hmm. i thought it was fun so i hung out there and then when they would take breaks i would uh grab a guitar and just like fiddle around with it while they were taking breaks and you know i noticed that i navigated around on it pretty you know pretty well for someone who who didn't play before and uh so I started going to a friend's house. He had a, like a beat up guitar called a Goya. And it like to change the tones, it had push buttons on it. Like, like uh, sort of like you, you would change the stations on an old, like AM radio. <laughs> yep. That's what it like. It wow. was, that's what it was comparable to. So it played like shit, but uh, he lent it to me and, um, and I started like noodling around with it at home and uh, I never went for lessons or anything. I just like tried, you know, uh, learning songs that I liked from bands that I liked by ear and, uh, you know, try to, you know, get the chords down that way. Uh, don't know even today if I, if I'm playing them right, because I've like, uh, because I, I 
like I never went for lessons. I'm my style's pretty unorthodox, so I kind of make up like chords that make sense to me, but aren't necessarily real real chords. <laughs> so I, I don't even know if I'm playing these songs right to the uh, to this day. But uh, but that's kind of how I like learned how to like navigate around on a guitar. And uh, a friend of mine tried showing me scales once, and I got really frustrated. Like uh, the first time that uh, that I that I tried to sit and practice it for say like you know a couple of hours, and then I was like ah, I threw the, you know threw the guitar down, picked it back up, and uh, said all right let me let me just try to write a song or something you know uh, see if that works better for me, and that became my knack is that you know I've I've got a like um, an inclination just to put songs together. And then that's pretty much gotten me through to, to this day. Yeah. So which was the first band that you, you were in and that you started? Was it Breakdown? No, no. Actually, I, I played in a, a neighborhood band called Show of Horse. And uh, we, we did uh, a couple of demos at Don Fury. Uh, one in like 89 and one in, yeah, we did two of them in 89 and then we did a, a, another one out in uh, South Jersey in, in 90. And uh, it got us out, you know, playing around a lot. And uh, being that we had friends in the scene, we would get on good bills. And uh, we actually played the, the Super Bowl of Hardcore at the, uh, old, Ritz, the old Ritz on uh, Studio 54. Oh, wow. When uh, AF headlined. And... Uh, yeah, we got to, you know, an unknown band got to play in front of a full house at Studio 54. So it was, you know, that pretty much told me, like, this is this is what I want to do. Looking back, as a, again, from an outsider perspective, it, it, the thing now, I didn't have many friends in bands. I had friends that were musicians, but, like, the styles were all over, over the place. But it's uh, especially meeting like you and Jay uh, Laroff uh, from Token Entry and Warzone and you know, my buddy Gavin and, and just the scene is like, I didn't from the outside, it seemed real big. But then when I go and we hang out, like we were, we were just at the uh, Jimmy G benefit show out in Thompson square park, which we respond this, this show off this, this podcast episode off is it's like, it is such a tight knit community. And even when I don't know the people, like I, like if I see you talking to somebody, I'll recognize that guy from something else or that woman from something else. I mean, and it also, I didn't realize like a lot of people were in bands with each other. Like, I think there's this thing where it's like you were in this band if you're on the outside, but like there was a lot of uh, intermingling of members and stuff, you know. Uh, what was it like being part, I guess, so if we look at Agnostic Front and say Cro-Mags as, as like sort of like uh, post-Ramones sort of New York, you know, mm -hmm. heavy. And then there was what I would put in as, uh, you know, uh, for my awareness of Long Island, I know like Sick of It All had a map and, and, and the first, those first EPs, uh, Sick of It All and Gorilla Biscuits were two that really drew me in. Um, and I saw Sick of It All was the first hardcore show that I was at. It was the first small venue show was at our, do you remember Sunrise? What was it? Sundown in, uh, what was it? Babylon, Long Island? I think it was Sundance. 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 That was it. Sundance. And it was, if I remember this correctly, it was like sheer terror, prong, sick of it all, and Danzig on his first solo album tour. And 
it was that thing about like, all right, man, I'm in this small venue and it felt dangerous because there's this weird thing of the 80s, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you still had OG era original punks and it wasn't as sort of common. And I remember being like kind of freaked out. Like I remember there was one dude and this is going to sound horrible folks, but I remember there was like one, you know, big spiky hair punker dude who had clearly been in a fire and, uh, you know, had like pretty bad skin graft stuff going on. And I just remember thinking like, holy fuck, it's like Mad Max in here and kind of loved it. <laughs> and nice. then somebody got hurt in the pit during sick of it all set and they stop. And then nobody in the shot in the, from the, from the space was doing anything. And then they wanted to play again and then they stopped again. And I just remember being like, man, <laughs> this is awesome. And that sort of opened up the floodgates for me to start going to shows. Right. But it's also why, like, Sick of It All holds such a special place in my heart. Um, just to, for me, that is the start of it from, like, my direct, like, this is a style of music that, or a scene that I want to be kind of be a part of or listen to or skate to. Uh, to today, still, they put it down. Solid albums never stop. It's never been, like, a reunion tour. Like, that was uh-huh. it's crazy. Yeah, they're the hardest working band in hardcore. But it, it, but to tap on what you were saying about that show that you went to in the island, that was the beauty of the scene back then, is that uh, it wasn't clicky yet. Anybody would play with anybody. Like, basically, you'd, you'd get your share of, like, you know, crust punks, crossover metal bands, you know, even big band, you know, say, like, a big artist like Danzig at the time uh, had no problem playing with these bands because he knows this is where he comes from. So, you know, uh, and the whole uh, diversity of the music and diversity of the, just say the, the fashion culture, everything was, was made it special at the time. What do you think started the clicks? Like I know certainly like the rise of straight edge Certainly, to some degree, even amongst my friends, was like yeah, the, the the rise of straight edge because people uh, started distorting the original message of it. Uh, you know, just like an organized religion would say, start distorting renditions of the Bible or the or, you know Old to New Testament stuff like that. If you want to like compare it to that, uh, you know, uh, they started becoming, for say, separatists. Uh, just because they were uh, militant about uh, their beliefs and views in, in, in what their um, impression of what straight edge is. But like, you know, in the big picture, it's still under the, you know, the hardcore family and was supposed to be family. And um, at the time we were all tribal and we were all brought to that place because we couldn't really cope or uh, survive socially in the neighborhoods we came from. That's what brought us there. So, you know, for that, for say like uh, the straight edge scene to become clicky and become separatist is sort of like the, you know, opposite message of what it's supposed to be. You know, uh, you know, like being straight edge is great you know, to, to you know, be clear minded. And, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, when you could think clearly and you're not, um, you, you know, poisoning yourself, you're actually being 
you know, better to yourself and better to others. So, uh, you know, I, I, I support the message of straight edge, but not, not what they did at the time. And there was other things going on too. You know, there, 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 there was a lot of like, say like, uh, gang violence going on. You know, there were crews starting that were like singling out, uh, like long hairs, you know, in, in the pit for nothing, you know, because they just knew they could beat them up and, you know, without resistance, which is fucking whack. Hated that shit, you know, yeah. you know, uh, uh, I didn't really turn a blind eye to it. I, you know, if I, if I saw someone getting like their head kicked in for nothing, I'd go and help, you know, but, uh, um, but that was another reason. Uh, and then, um, you know, some, another reason as well were people that were in it early, say like, you know, from like 80 to like 83, 84, that would just openly, you know, in magazines and, and uh, in interviews say that, you know, hardcore was only good from this time to this time and that's it. You know, everything after it, is, is bullshit. Like this was our shit and now it's fucking dead, you know? And, you know, so the, there was conflicting uh, opinions, whether, whether this scene is real or not, like, you know, in the, to the rest of the world. And I, and I can assure you 30 years later, you know, we're, we're still here and, and, uh, and still like making a difference, you know? So like, I would say, you know, those three factors were, main reasons for uh the scene sort of dividing and going off into like different sex i i think the the beating on the long hairs type thing was definitely probably when i mentioned how i was like you know intimidated and, and, and well, it, it, it scared all of them away that, that was part of my thing because i i was yeah. definitely in that I, I i looked more like that most of the time not that I had crazy yeah, you, long hair. You didn't see, like, after that started happening, you'd see less and less metalheads, like, going to shows. Yeah. And and you just, I guess you'd start to hear stuff. And then uh, when I finally, I think it was like, you know, I'd have to say it was like early 90s. It was sort of like the, by the time I started going to shows a bunch, it was like, that was sort of like, I, I don't know if it's like the third round. I, I'm always, I always suck it when people try to, like, label, like, this window was this version and this window is this, but like when quicksand started coming out and, you know, uh, burn orange nine, that's sort of when it clicked for me. That's when I started going to shows a bunch and, uh, really and that, started. That was, that, that was equally as good as it was in the eighties. Right. Cause I was there for both. Yeah. So, that's uh, awesome. And it, it, there was a, a renaissance per se, uh, in, in the scene because people that were doing bands, they, they didn't rely on more technical, say, th th thrash. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like it, it kind of started out as, as a very generic music that, you know, with generic production. And then, you know, uh, you know, say 85, 86, when like Born to, Ex you know, Born to Expire and, and like, you know, uh, DRI crossover, like, you know, um, the, the cause for alarm AF record where things are just going in the crossover direction, Ludacris and the crumb circus that had shredders, you know, yeah. uh, in, in both bands. So like, uh, you know, you, you fast forward 10 years, 
to a group of kids that are, like are raised on, on a different subculture, like listening to metal, listening to hip hop, listening to like alternative rock, like, you know, that adjust their, 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 uh, their listening, uh, tastes are much broader than the people before them. So I would say when we came across doing bands back then, I think it was more about, uh, like, uh, infusing like our, uh, backdrop of how we grew up and it translated into music because it was, I'd say there was more diversity in the nineties because you had bands like district nine, you know what I mean? Like all these dudes from the Bronx that are, you know, you know, infusing a lot of like hip hop groove in these heavy, like riff breakdowns, yeah. Fahrenheit 451, uh, no redeeming who brought like a, you know, say like a Murphy's law, like party atmosphere to what they were doing, but they were like, you know, they had different themes for every show they were doing and, and like, you know, they had their own shit going on. And, uh, you know, uh, I was playing in like three bands at the time and, uh, and they were all unique unto themselves. So, uh, and we didn't rely on the, uh, the bands from the past to, uh, to latch onto in terms of like, uh, putting our own stake in the ground of who we are and what, you know, where we come from. It seemed to be an opportunity, a growth opportunity for everybody. Like here's this sound that's sort of been defined and each band kind of had its, you know, it's, it's marked within this, this sound. But then in that, those, those early nineties bands, it was definitely like, look, like we know this box of what this is. And now it's time to like, we, we, we have to like grow to do more. Like, where can we take this? And yeah, make I would, it more unique I would to say us. it was more, uh, groove orientated uh as opposed to being technical yeah you know and, and then like and then when like the, the the grunge thing happened it sort of made us feel good about like what we were doing because they th that whole scene uh they were like anti-technical yeah it was also allowed a lot of opportunities you know at, at, you know for better or worse i think overall it's it's kind of amazing. But when, when that scene blew up and that's another thing that unless you were around in like 90 to 92, you know, and already listening to this type of stuff, it, it'd be hard for somebody younger to kind of relate to that switch that happened. Right. Like it was kind of like in terms of like, sort of like punk or alternative for lack of a better phrase, the chili peppers and a handful of bands were rising and then like, Holy shit, Nirvana hit. And it's really hard for people to remember that weren't in it or even to fathom what, smells like teen spirit did to sort of the, the the heavy punk rock all metal scene it just really was like suddenly there's a million times more awareness on it like i remember that was when we finally had the birth of like the warp tour like the first warp tour shortly after you had Lollapalooza's popping up and it kind of brought it back to that eclectic nature of different bands playing but it, it was definitely like somebody had to think like we have to make all of not make them fit. We, we should be experiencing all of these together, I guess is what I'm saying. But I remember like that first warp tour seeing it at Nassau Coliseum in the fucking parking lot. And on the side stage, I know uh, quicksand orange nine and seaweed amongst a few bands played pretty much almost right after each other. And I was like, when the hell is that ever going to happen again? Right. It was amazing. And then whatever else was happening, I, I you know, I, I want to say, I think sick of it all might've been at that show. I don't remember who was on the big stage. No. It, it's sick, like, of it all, sick of it all played the first Warped Tour. 
Yeah, so they were there. So I saw them, saw them but I just remember in particular the side stage uh, because to see Quicksand, Orange 9, and, uh, and Seaweed. And I also remember because, like, I don't know, it was on cement. Like, it was on parking lot pavement. And I don't know if somebody threw out, like, a bunch of flyers on the floor, and then you had all the sweat, all the whatever people were drinking, and it was like you were dancing in paper mache. So all of our sneakers and gear from like the knees down was like coated and crusted in like paper mache, like paper cement. It was gross. That's a side topic, um, side story on that one. So as those bands are coming up, what band are, is this when you're in crown of thorns era? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was actually, I was in crown of thorns and in breakdown at the same time. Wow. And this is when like other, also like, I know like, bands from the scene are getting offered to play with bigger bands that are like kind of blowing up. Like, uh, when like, uh, was it quicksand went out on tour with Deftones? I saw them with anthrax and white zombie too. Um, what was that like? I mean, it, it, did it seem like from coming from a small scene that the bubble might've burst in a little bit in a way? Cause it seemed like there was all these bands and then there was like this division and then this, I, I think some of these bigger bands were, were like, uh, you know, hanging out with us because like they, uh, they just saw that it was real. And it, who's that? Hey, Kim. How are you? Um, yeah, basically like, uh, I think some of these bands wanted to like legitimize themselves to have some street cred by like doing sets at CBGBs and uh, you know, doing like unannounced things at, at, at small places, which I thought was cool. Actually, I saw Anthrax play at CBGBs when like, like uh, John Bush was, uh, was singing for them. This is like, like Belladonna had left, but yeah. you know, they, they, Anthrax always like wanted to have one foot in the hardcore scene, but it, it didn't really translate in, into their music. Well, I, I'll say I got into, well, I think a lot of, most of the music that I got into in, in, in my early, mid to late teens was either from skateboard video, skateboard videos, just like what was behind. I mean, all the SST stuff, all, you know, the Dinosaur Jr., Black Flag, Minutemen, all that stuff was coming from there. And then a lot of the more like local and metal stuff and New York stuff, like uh, the old Anthrax album art. You know, Charlie Benante, I think, was the guy drawing all these cartoons and they'd have all the logos and all the stuff, pe people wearing all the T-shirts. And I'd be like looking up, who's that band? Who's that band? Or in the liner notes, who are those bands? And I know, like, wasn't there some, like, I, I, I listened to Scott Ian's audio book. Um, wasn't there, like, some beef? Like, didn't he, like, copyright or something? The New York Hardcore logo or trademark it or something? Well, like, they something did something like that. I don't, I don't know the details of that, but yeah, there's some, something going on with that. So they were definitely, you know, being there. But I'd also remember being at shows and seeing Scott Ian at the show, not backstage, not on side of the stage, I, actually being in the crowd. That's because, like, Billy Milano, like, you know, pretty much got him, like, tapped into everybody in, in the scene when, you know, when they did S.O.D. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's true. Know, Billy Milano and Danny Lilker are, like, you know, they're OG hardcore dudes. You know I mean, even though, even though yeah. like uh, Lilker is, you know, doing like, you know, uh, death metal and, and like really dark stuff is his thing. No doubt. 
that dude is fucking OG hardcore because like I saw Nuclear Assault. That was like my second show I saw uh, at CB's. And I was like, wait a second. And like, there's, there's like skinheads like fucking going off with this band. But he's long haired dudes. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I remember having that was that weird era. Like you said, like uh, I remember getting one of one of that one of their albums on cassette. I can't remember the name of it offhand. And like Crumb Suckers and, and that. And uh, we used to have Uncle Phil's out in Long Island. And that would be the spot, either that or Tri-County Flea Market to get our records. And uh, yeah, yeah, I hadn't even been going to shows like in the first six months. I saw the, the Crumb Suckers, Ludacrist. Uh, uh, damage, uh, then damage uh, turned into prong. I saw prongs first show. Uh, uh, so many like different bands that were just blowing up at the time. Like n- not even a-, a year into into going to shows. So it was just like just a like overdrive of 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 music and and like like different styles like like hitting me in the head. So it was like. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, and it, it, the city was such a different place and starting to transition, too, at that. And I'm grateful for my memories. I can't say what things are better or worse. Certainly, everything is so expensive now. But the area where all that stuff was happening and, and, and just walking around, it was just such a different energy than it is now. But it's great to go into the show, and it actually, that part for me still feels the same. Like sure. someone, someone starts playing the song and the song's the song and like, damn. And it's kind of crazy to think how the music resonates, not just on, our, on, a, on a nostalgic level. Like I remember a few years ago, I mean, it might, it was more than a few years. It's probably like seven or eight years ago. I saw Walter play some sort of a holiday show at a very small bar in Park Slope. I actually walked out in the snow and, and went and checked it out. It was uh, the first time I heard him do some of his acoustic stuff where he's singing like, you know, covers from a lot of different bands and you you get to really focus on the lyrics when he's doing it and you're like these were just fucking young kids really writing important stuff and it was cool to hear in that perspective not because it was like hey it's acoustic and it's walter but it was just like you got a different perspective to hear like how smart and how thoughtful it was as opposed to just like chance or angry kids or whatever. It was just really rad to look at back to like have that flashback. And I know he did a little bit of it at the, uh, the Ray B's tribute mm-hmm. last year. And it's crazy, man. Like you guys were a part of, uh, important stuff that impacted not only the scene, but I think a lot of ga- cats like myself that were, you know, on the outside of it, even though I was still in New York, um, at least in those early years before I started going to more shows, I, I, it's kind of crazy the impact that you've had. And I think it's still found on music. Like, I, I don't think that's gone away outside of the New York hardcore scene. I think like the impact that that scene had, you're going to hear if, like any of those emo screamo bands, I think are going to be like, Oh yeah, I love this band. Right. Yeah, exactly. Everyone uh, definitely had uh, a style that they gravitated to in terms of the bands within the scene. You know, like, I mean, there, there's some bands that are like, you know, people ask me if I like them or not. And, and I and I say, I like this band, that band, and they, and they scratch their head. You know what I mean? But, but to me, a good song is a good song. So, they, you know, like bands like 108, I thought they killed. Yeah. You know, even though, even though they, you know, if, if you would look at them, they just look like, you know, extremist Harry Krishnas, but the songs were hard. 
you know, that, that, you know, actually like used to sit home and like try to learn a few of them. So yeah. like, uh, yeah, you know, there's definitely a, 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 a broad range of sounds. Shelter was like that for me. I, I remember seeing, I can't remember, I think it was like burn shelter and sick of it all. And just like, you know, a bunch of angry looking people in the crowd and a lot of big dudes stage diving. And then I just remember like, Ray coming out and singing with the biggest ass smile on his face and being like, that's more my style than being angry all the time, even before it. Uh, but that's another band that like, sometimes I feel like people are like shelter because everyone's so hardcore, more uh, not hardcore in the music sense, but like deep into like youth of today when they look back, but I really dug shelter. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that just goes to show like in a, in a timeline of how certain people grow as people and musicians, if you follow their music, you could definitely see the, the, the transitions in life, you know, where they were then to where they are now. So like, you know, if you look at pictures of Ray in say like 86, when he's doing youth of today, he looks like an angry kid, Yeah, you know, totally. with, a, with a very, you know, angry message. And then you go into the, into the, sh- the, the shelter music and the message, it shows a, a high level of growth on his part. You ask me. You know, and there's other guy, you know, he, you mentioned Walter, the same deal. Like he, he just grew into like a really good songwriter. And, you know, Gavin as well. Gavin was always like a really outside of the box, uh, you know, writer. And that, that's what I always loved about him. And then like, you know, he always brings something new to the table, no, no matter what year it is. It's just who he is. So yeah. uh, there's, there's a few guys in the scene that, you know, uh, I, I really admire it and I'm, I'm glad that I can call them my friends and that they evolve as, as people and, and musicians, you know, it's, it's just fun to watch. And it's, I'm grateful that these cats have been prolific because you're getting to see that growth, like happen through the music. You know, I've known Gavin for a while now. I've, I've I only met Walter once. He wouldn't know who the hell I am, but like, it's just cool to see all that growth. But like, you look at those, those guys yourself included like super prolific over the years. Like if you think of the number of bands, the number of projects, the number of albums and, and you know how they're not all the same, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, especially if thinking, if you look at burn right now, you know, they're not just doing the, the reunion thing. They, they keep putting out new material and that's been really cool to see. Uh, speaking of new material, let's, uh, cause we've been talking for a while. I want to make sure we get to it. Your new band, man. So, uh, We'll transition this. What's the name of your new band? And you guys are doing really well. Like I know Kim would be like, Mike's touring with Corn. <laughs> Mike's touring <laughs> with his guys. Like it just seemed in the last like year and a half to two years, you had a stellar year. So uh, tell the listeners. Yeah, like, um, I'm I'm extremely grateful that um, I've had these opportunities and um, and just like uh, made a point to. Uh, capitalize on them by just keeping straight focus on my music. And, uh, it, and it, it was rewarding to me, uh, you know, individually, but it, it rewarded me in, in terms of giving me more opportunity as well. So, uh, it's like the last two years have been like a phenomenal ride. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, glad to still be able to uh, go out and have fun and, and, and still do what I love, you know? 
Well, let's chat about, so one of the things that Mike and I were talking about, so, you know, as you, you, you do the things you do when you're kids and as you start to get older and then you fall in their careers and you try to maintain your interest. But Mike was saying, you know, folks, if you've heard, you've listened to the show more than once, uh, if you're new listening, because Mike's on it, that's awesome. Welcome to the, to listening. Uh, this is my second career being a coach, not a podcast host, but a coach. Because, you know, I got so stressed out in my old job. Like I was making great money. I had like a decent reputation, um, but I was getting stressed out. And I found something else that I was like, I really want to invest my time in something I'm more passionate about that I think has a, a more positive direct impact on the world. And when Mike and I, when we were talking, I was congratulating him on this success. And he was like, well, yeah, I, I took time off of work because uh, can, you, can you tell like the listeners a little bit about that story about yeah, yeah, sure. On that new, that renewed focus, because I think that's important. Because as we get older, we get locked into stuff where we think like this is just it, and I don't, I don't think that's usually the case. Yeah. So, so what happened was uh, ju- just my background in 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 music. Uh, you know, I've consistently have put you know recordings out and records out pretty consistently over the years. I've been doing it, but. You know, this is New York, and it it, it doesn't pay the bills. I, I do it because I love to do it, and um, you know the, the the pressures of of my job. I took a better uh, what I thought was a better job. I, w- I was like a like a supervisor at like this you know high end like uh, construction management company, and we were overseeing like some really like high profile projects in the city. So, uh, you know, I was on salary and, uh, you know, making good money, but found myself, uh, a, a slave to the job because, um, you know, we had deadlines and, um, basically at that level, they don't care about your personal story. They don't care about your, uh, passions in life. They just look at you just like, yo, get the fucking job done. And, I don't, I don't give a shit what you got going on in your life. So, uh, so pretty much I had two or three projects going at once and, uh, they were flying me back and forth to Los Angeles to work for uh, a particular client that just wanted me to go out there. And it just it ran me into the ground. And then like, you know, one day, you know, I find myself like on a train platform, you know, on like an hour of sleep and I almost collapsed and like the two, uh, Police officers helped me out and like called me an ambulance and like uh, the the ambulance or the EMT guy was uh, you know d- uh, did an EKG on me like like right on the platform and he's like yo you gotta go to the hospital he's like you have like some like erratic heartbeat going on right now so uh, so they put me in an ambulance and then um, uh, on the way there uh, the guy is going he goes listen there's no police here now so like you know, tell me what drugs you're on. Like, did you do cocaine or meth or, or anything like that? I was like, I was like, nah, dude, I don't even, I don't even drink. You know what I mean? Like I don't do any drugs. Nothing. He's like, come on, man. You know, he's like, you know, he's looking at me physically and it doesn't just, it doesn't make sense to him that I have this going on because I look pretty healthy to him. So the, the only conclusion that he could come to is that I was like skied out on Coke from the, the night before. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this has happened to me. So, uh, you know, during my embarrassing stay in the hospital, uh, it was pretty much due to like sleep deprivation, fatigue, stress. And I'm like, 
sitting there laying like, what the fuck am I doing this for? Why am I chasing this money? You know, and, and I had, uh, you know, already started like the, uh, the King's Bounty project at the time. And, and like, uh, I would go after work to, to my singer's house. Uh, his, uh, his name is Anthony Kies, uh, but he goes under the name uh, Q Unique. And, uh, you know, by myself in Diker Heights, like two, three nights a week, even after doing all this, just doing what I love because it gave me some sort of peace of mind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we wrote a, a good batch of songs and, uh, and we had a, a few connections in terms of, you know, who we could go out and play with because uh, the genre is, is, is sort of like, uh, you know, we could cater, to, you know, to fans of, of say like corn or, or POD or, you know, stone sour or something like that. So, um, you know, one, one, uh, night, um, Q is, uh, hanging out on the corn tour bus. He's, he's friends with them. He actually did a band with Fieldy, uh, in the, in the two thousands called Stillwell. Oh yeah. And, yeah. So like, uh, th- that's, that's, uh, that's our connection to corn. So like Q is is um, is is a good friends with the whole band. They love taking him on the road, you know, as you know, um, you know, someone to be there who they want with them. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, he's very uh, good, you know, with engineering and mixing and producing. So he has the laptop out and like he's you know, uh, you know, recording them on the road. You know they're writing on the road, so he's helping them out with that. So that you know, uh, Fieldy does a, like a, a solo bass record over the span of like two, three years, and Q's there to just record all his ideas. And uh, so you know, one night um, they're out in uh, England, and Q calls me up, and he's like, he's like, yo, he's like, you know, Head just asked if we could go out to uh, Anaheim and open up for them at House of Blues. And I was just like, all right, did you say yes already? Like, you know, like, what the fuck are you asking me for? You know, like, so, yeah, of course. You know, so uh, we uh, uh, we made it happen. And actually, uh, 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 the drummer from P.O.D. Uh, did the Stillwell album as well. So he was friends with them as well. And it just so happened that P.O.D. was playing at the Morongo Casino uh, in Palm Springs the same weekend of the corn show. So we got on that bill. Wow. Yeah, so I was like, you know, what is this? Like, you know, this is like, you know, Van Halen, like doing the fucking, like, casino circuit. You know, it was like, <laughs> I'm like you know, there was a hardcore kid playing at a casino. You know, so like... Uh, these things were very surreal to me at the moment because it, it well, not that the fact that you're playing with big bands is that you're crossing genres and it, it, I was pretty much doing my interpretation of what I thought like, you know, good hard rock would be as opposed to playing hardcore. And, uh, you know, so we go up on stage, you know, house of blues, it was like, you sold out 2,500 people and, after the first song, we got a fucking big roar out of the crowd. And, and like, that is a, a different type of, uh, say, uh, satisfaction in, in the music. You know, you gauge 
uh, how good a hardcore show is by like how you know crazy the 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 crowd goes off, how hard they dance, or how yeah. many people come out up on stage or sing along. But in 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 that genre, you know, it, uh, you know, to sit there and hear like a a real heavy roar like that that you would hear say at a festival and or at an arena after like you played one of your songs they never heard before yeah is, is mind-blowing so uh that got me hooked on doing this type of music now so uh so you know being that uh we had some uh level of um positivity and momentum at the time uh, we decided to go back into the studio, which was my singer's, you know, six by nine room in Diker Heights and just went off like writing more songs. And um, uh, one of my, you know, close friends, his name is Blake Farber. He, he, um, he, he shot our uh, video for um, uh, a single that we released last year uh, called Denial. And um you know, we hang out a lot, you know, he's a lot younger than me, but like I, I value his opinion because, you know, he, he rides me like, say like an older brother would. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just telling me, he's like, yo, you're never going to fucking make it like doing this shit. He's like, because you've got you, one foot in construction, you got one foot in the music and you don't do either of them well. And you're like running yourself in the ground. He's like, he's like, you're a musician. Why don't you just be a musician and like, just get over the fear of like, not paying your rent or like, you know, where your next dollar is coming from. So, you know, normally like someone else said that to me, I was like, yeah, you know, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. but when he said it, it's it sort of like sunk in and it, it took uh, like the first two months were very like, you know, turbulent and, and like, I, I had so much anxiety and fear, and, you know, because I never, aside of like going on like vacations or like going on tour when I was younger, I never like took a hiatus off from work in my life, you know. So you know, you know, it's sort of like you know, thirty years of working hard. So um, once I got over the fear of walking away from my job, I could really focus on what my job would be at the time, which was write music and uh, just brainstorm on, on, on what we can do to make this the best band we could be to give us the best shot at, uh, you know, like uh, taking a, a run at like touring or, you know, whatever comes with it, you know, putting a record out. And, and uh, so being that uh, we were doing this, like just, you know, having faith in it, more opportunities arose. Like I would, I, what I would do is I, instead of like working the construction job, I would go and like, you know, drive the chrome eggs around, you know, the United States just because it was music related. And I, you know, I met so many people uh, doing that. And uh, then, you know, I have like bands that are like doing reunion shows, like outbursts, like, like asking me to like, you know, do a run of shows with them. And, and, and that's music related. And, uh, and then, um, then I got Danny, like, you know, booking shows and we do like little crown of thorns, one-offs here, here and there. And, 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 you know, I find myself just as busy as I was before, but everything is music related now. And, um, yeah. So like, you know, I'm on, I'm on the road with the Chrome eggs. We're driving down to 
Virginia and my boy who works at, um, at live nation, uh, just calls me up out of the blue and says, Hey, you want to open up for Jonathan Davis at, uh, at urban Plaza. And I was like, yeah, done. You know, <laughs> you know, and these things are unheard of for unsigned bands, you know, to, to be able to, um, you know, have an opportunity to play in front of that many people and not have the backing of a label or management or, uh, you know, booking agents per se. And, uh, it has us in the conversation, talking to managers, talking to labels, because they were like, all right, these guys can like pull some of this shit off on their own. You know, they're not going to be a, uh, um, say like a high maintenance band because, yeah. or, or, or an uncontrollable thing, because th- those guys aren't really thinking about stuff like that, you know? So, um, you know, the fact that we've done it a few times, we, we know, uh, how important it is just to follow through on certain things. And when, when you do tell someone you're going to do something, you actually do it. They, they, you know, form a new respect for you. So, um, so now like, you know, we have some good things going on and, and, uh, you know, hopefully have a, uh, you know, a full album release for, for next spring. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, for, for King's Bounty. Yeah. Dude, I think that's it's like when you were telling me this at, at, at the, the bar after the show, I think that's just such an important thing. You know, people really do feel trapped when they start hitting late 30s, 40s. And then unfortunately, I think there is a window where people hit like, you know, 60, whatever. And they're just like, I am now like, this is it. Like, it's not worth making a change. And I just think it's like sad. But I think for for those of us that like started with it, like a, a fire or interest in something, and then I love how you said it, like, because I've seen you in a few of the bands now, always putting stuff out, but it's so hard to do it on the side as opposed to, to allowing yourself to be that. Right. It, it, it's sort of like, you know, society's impression of what that's supposed to be. And, and we buy into that a little bit, I, sometimes a little bit, sometimes a whole hell of a lot. So I just thought that was amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that people knew I was available made a huge difference. You know, there yeah. people always looked at me like, does not, Dijon is a, like, he's a, like a construction guy. He's a hard, he's like a workaholic. Like, you know, I, they wouldn't even consider me in a conversation, uh, which, which, um, I, I never really gave two thoughts about at, at the time. But, uh, when people did start calling me, you know, for, to do gigs just because they wanted me for like, you know, for the way I played, I was, it was just like, wow, it is because, you know, I was this like, fucking dude that they you know just thought that wasn't a good fit for them because I wasn't available so because I was it just, I got like you know a short notice text from Mackie asking me if I got a you know a valid passport you know to to go play bass for the Chromex for you know two and a half weeks you know in in Europe this past summer I was like oh shit yeah yeah it's good you know so <laughs> so I had to like you know pick up a new instrument and like get comfortable playing that. And like, I like really big shoes to fill in terms of like the guys that played in that band, you know, uh, before me. So like, you know, you don't want to, you know, throw up an egg, you know, playing age of quarrels. So, uh, definitely not, you know, I, 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 I practiced my ass off and, and, 
you know, studied enough to, you know, understand the, the base because it's a completely different animal and, and, and how you interact with the, uh, with, with the drummer. You know, like a guitar, you're rocking out. You're like, you're on your own. You're in your own little world. And it doesn't matter. But like the, the bass player has to lock in with the drummer. And, and, you know, and this is like the best like hardcore drummer in the world. So, uh, and, you know, that was uh, a phenomenal experience. I had the best summer that I had in, in years. And uh, it, it brought me to meet, um, you know, new people, uh, you know, uh, you know, People I spent the summer with, you know, definitely have uh, a, a good pulse on, you know, what people listen to today. And, and you know, I got to learn all that and, and uh, just opened me up to a, a whole new world. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for it. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I got to play one of the biggest shows of my life. You know, we did a festival in France. It was like, you know, 20,000 people. Hellfest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was. It was amazing and uh it was great too because it reminded me of like say like the 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 dynamo of like 95 you know where like everyone knew each other or or like say like full force in in 07 so like you know uh the hellfest thing there was like seven or eight of our friends bands like there that day so you know it was like you know i get to you know hang out watch turnstile Terror, uh, you know, Madball, Hatebreed, you know, and then like, you know, just bounce around and, and like, you know, go to the main stage, watch like Body Count and uh, uh, Jonathan Davis played that day. So like I got to, you know, I went over, to, you know, to, to the crew, so it's up to all those guys and, you know, just kidding. It's just, it, 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 awesome. it's awesome. Yeah, you know, just being out of the zip code, uh, you know, traveling around, living out of suitcase. I've, I've just found myself very comfortable doing that. Dude, as we, as we wrap this up, coming full circle, what's it like to sort of, how do you even wrap your head around it, even with your sort of history from that first COC show to, you know, uh, for those that aren't aware of Chromax, like you should look that up like ASAP. I mean, Age of Coral album is, is, not only to learn a new instrument and to fill the shoes, but just it's such a top to bottom pillar album of, of what we're into. What is it like to come, you know, especially, and after all of this work stress and, and, and making that jump full-time music to step out in front of 20,000 people at a Hellfest to play with the Cro-Mags. Like what's like the what's the thought going through your head right before you're about to kick in the first song? Uh believe it or not, I was really comfortable. Uh, uh, I was just like, you know, I, I looked at Mac because that's you know who I keep my eye on in the whole set. I'm like, yo, fuck it, let's do this. And I, I felt really comfortable, like uh, doing the set and rocking out. You know, the, you have all the perfect. Um, scenarios going on on stage you're getting the great monitor mix it sounds great on stage it sounds great on the house um you know it's it's something that uh that i thought i was going to be really nervous doing but felt very comfortable doing I, i'm more nervous in a small club because wow. because it's chaotic and everybody's in your face and and like the 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 conditions change from song to song 
You know what I mean? You know, but just because sure. his body's flying and, and like there's, there's, there's more uh, chances of something going wrong equipment wise, you know, so you're always like, you, you're getting into it, but you're sort of like guarded. Yeah. As like, you know, and, uh, there's a little bit of separation b- between you and the people on the stage, uh, you know, when, when you're playing a festival. So like uh, you, you could take it in and actually in, in enjoy it. So uh, I, I really enjoyed it. But after it was done, um, if you asked me like what it felt like from like to that, ultra humbling. Wow. That, you know, uh, just be- because, uh, you know, you could follow through on something and j- like uh, you love to do and be able to do that at this stage in my life. It, there's no other word than, than, than humble. That's amazing, man. Uh, I, I was just so stoked for you and, and you're a good dude. Uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm stoked to be your buddies. Grateful for Kim for that. Um, yo, you're, you're a great dude. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, like, like I was saying it, like, you know, when we saw each other, like, you know, over at the bar, like, you know, whatever, you know, uh, that we hadn't seen each other in a while. I missed like, you know, those times where we're, you know, we made it a point to just all be at the same place at the same time. And, uh, you know, I think it was a good reconnection, you know, she yeah, man. we'll, we'll make sure we, we, we keep getting a hang. I got, uh, you know, I got, I got more control over my schedule these days. So like we, we can actually come up and hang out. Uh, Hey, uh, as we're about to, to wrap this up, I actually got to get the kids ready for bed. Uh, <laughs> where can people, Find out more about you, King's Bounty, follow you. I'll put all the website, you know, link information on the show details. All the uh, all the King's Bounty uh, social media is under King's Bounty Band. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, all that stuff would be King's Bounty Band. Cool. And um, uh, I post stuff up on my Instagram, like uh, when it is band related. Uh, so, you know, it's just, you know, under my name, Mike Bijan and, um, yeah, so that, that, that's the band I'm plugging right now. Like, you know, the, the other bands I play in, you know, they don't, they don't need any introduction, (laughs) you know, they have their, uh, their, uh, their scene and, and, and the people that follow them. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm very, uh, focused on getting getting this new music out cool man i'll post that up um and we will have to get you if uh, please come back on the show in the not so distant future because we didn't even talk about <laughs> oh, yeah. yoga yeah. and the fitness side of it we'll have to hit that up on another episode uh, that, that's just, it could be uh, that that's something that we could probably have just as long a, a conversation yeah. it was and, just uh, i'm not gonna lie after uh uh assisting at two workshops this weekend and it was great but uh it was so nice to not actually talk this and just talk about other stuff too uh and i love that side of like just again seeing you on uh, on the journey where it's going right now was awesome so at the end of every episode the guest tells the listeners to die mighty so can you tell the listeners to die mighty please die mighty Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks so much. Again, continued success, and we'll have to hang soon, uh, sooner than later. And uh, it's funny. I'm just finding out, too. I just saw that Judge just played or is about to play in Tokyo. Yeah. I'm I'm missing quicksand by, I think, three days when I'm out there. So I'm like, I'm going out there next week, and I'm missing all these shows. 
Um, but anyway, dude, thank you so much for taking the time and for, uh, you know, allowing a couple of reschedules while I healed up. All right, bro. Yeah, it's good. Uh, safe travels, man. Thanks, man. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.